talk to people. I like to, I tell people I work with, be selfish about getting other people's input and, and keep getting it over and over again. The times when I've been the least successful is when I've had my head in the sand. Welcome to another edition of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports and media, disruption, technology, entrepreneurship, all different kinds of things, which we've now been doing. This is the beginning of our sixth year. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my six-year co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, 2022, here we go. Oh my God, Joe, 2022, how did this happen? Uh, but uh, happy uh, New Year to you, and I hope you had a good holiday break, despite this uh, scourge of the Omicron virus, which seems to have affected virtually everybody I've ever met in my life. <laughs> At yeah, least it's, based um, on the anecdotes so, I've heard the last two weeks. Yeah, it's it's like a drinking game. You can go like five minutes without somebody saying, I tested positive or I've just had a test. Yeah, um, no, and it's also making for a really mellow January. I thought most of us yeah. thought we were gonna be getting back both to the classroom and to the industry in-person meetings and conferences and stuff like that. And that doesn't appear to be happening. It's really not a Columbia where we have to wait until at, mm -hmm. at the earliest, I think January 30th or 31st, I believe. Um, yeah. But Joe, there's already, I, I wanna start with a quick um, hot take from you on, on a, a huge story that developed in the first week of this new year in the sports business, which was the sale of The Athletic to the New York Times. I, I'm, I'm yeah. sure you and by the way, closely as I did. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? And let's yeah. not forget, Tops getting bought by Fanatics. Well, so, yeah, I, actually, that's a, that's a equally as five hundred million dollar question. It's a popular topic for five hundred million. What can you get for five hundred million dollars in the first week of January? Well, you could buy the Athletic for five hundred fifty million, or I think was Tops the same price? Was it five hundred million? Five hundred fifty. Okay. Million. Yeah, it's an interesting question. What would you buy if you had a half a billion dollars in the world of sports right now? And two really different decisions: getting into a legacy business or in, yeah. in effect a legacy business of, uh, of trading cards, although they're into digital, of course, too. Um, and then like an old school journalistic enterprise. But Joe, I got to go back to 2017 to, to, to kind of to <laughs> set up your hot take. And that is, do you remember what Alex oh, yes. said four years ago? Yeah. The, by the way, the title of this should be Media Companies Who Live in Glass Houses Should Not Throw Stones. Exactly. Um, so for those of you who don't remember, the, the CEO of The Athletic said famously or infamously, I think 2017, that The Athletic was going to bleed newspapers dry, local newspapers dry, and they would be the last man standing. Uh, it didn't quite work out that way. I'll just mention one fact, Joe, before you respond. Yeah. You probably read in all the stories that in 2021, they generated revenue of $65 million but do you know the trivia question? What did they lose, actually lose in uh, uh, their net loss, I should say, in 2021? Was it double that? I think it was, it was double that. Yeah, I'm sorry. They, 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 their revenue yeah. was 65 million, they, but they lost 55 million. So yeah. it is yet to be profitable. Even the CEO of the New York Times, when announcing the deal, said it would be dilutive to the New York Times for at least three more years. Yeah. So this is really interesting. And then the other thing I got to say, sorry, I, I didn't mean to uh, hog the mic on, on this question, but Alex used to scoff at the notion of integrating advertising into the mm -hmm. athletic. Guess what they're talking about now? Yeah, advertising integration. <laughs> and, and anyway, go you know, for it. 
we want to we want to get to our our guest because we want to talk about entrepreneurship and a lot of things and and the founder story too. But you know the two things that that really became the great irony. One is, you know where that story broke right with that headline was the New York Times. Yes. Yes. So, well, so it was the worst kept secret in the business. Yeah. I mean, there, there no, 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 no. I mean, when, when, when they, when the athletic, when said we want to eat the lunch of media companies, the oh, oh. Was in the New York Times. Oh, I'm sorry. Wow. Okay. I did not know that. <laughs> um, the other thing that's really interesting is somewhere buried in that was the fact that their subscriber number. And I was talking to Jabari Young about this this morning is, is probably very inflated because the two biggest factors in there are a partnership with Fanatics, where you bought something from Fanatics and got the Athletic for free. They did that last year. And then a bigger partnership with T-Mobile, where you ended up on every T-Mobile phone, which that deal is going away at the end of the year. So we'll see where this goes. I think the newsletter business, the convergence of newsletter businesses, as we saw with at the end of the year with Sports Business Journal and Sport Techie uh, and some other ones that are going to start rolling up, it was um, the water coolest combining with, mm -hmm. with um, Barstool. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, this is all going to become, you know, who are your, your subscribers and how valuable is your list more than yeah. your content. And that's, that's what the Times bought. Uh, Matt, Matt Futterman at the Times told me a year and a half ago that the Times was actively looking to get into the, the, news, the uh, newsletter business for local stories. And that's what they'll get with The Athletic in certain cities. But I, as much as everybody was patting The Athletic writers and staff on the back yesterday. And I saw Paul Fichtenbaum saying this was a great day. And I get all that, but there's going to be a lot of unemployed people coming out of the athletic because they uh, I imagine, right. 600. Yeah, so. I, I saw that. I, I was just, my last point would be this. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently the New York Times had cash on hand of around a billion dollars. So the mm -hmm. board apparently approved this acquisition to use half of that for this mm -hmm. business. I personally think it's a huge gamble yeah. Um, and while I'm a huge fan of the New York and reader and active consumer of, of their app, the New York Times, mm -hmm. they do not have a very stellar history of their success with their acquisitions over the last, yeah. certainly not in the digital age. So mm -hmm. we'll all be watching that closely. I recently chose to not renew my athletic subscription after Ooh. having a few years. Yeah, nothing against it. I think it was pretty good. I just found myself not using it because mm -hmm. ultimately, look, this is a good segue into our discussion today. Ultimately, if it's an app-based media experience, the bottom line comes down to whether people are using your app on a day-to-day -day basis. And if they're not, mm -hmm. you got a problem. So for them, I was a problem. Their attempt to keep me as a subscriber when I went through the non-renewal process was interesting to see. No surprise, mm -hmm. they were quite aggressive, lowering mm -hmm. the price and lowering the price to a point where you'd wonder, not, it, would, it would not make you wonder why they're losing so much money. Anyway. Uh, let's yeah. move on. So do you want yeah. to introduce Samir? Yeah. So the last thing I would say is that I'm a subscriber of both the New York Times and The Athletic, so I can't wait to see what my discount's going to be going. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with anyway. that. So um, speaking of apps and innovation and, and servicing an audience that um, certainly needs to be serviced uh, in a way probably hasn't been done in a long time with some interesting partners, we're going to talk to the president of Game Changer, Samir Ahuja, who is also a checks a lot of boxes for us, Tom, because you've worked alongside him or in places in the past. He's worked with a lot of our, uh, our kind of friends and colleagues. He touches the youth sports space. He's a Columbia grad. So mm -hmm. what else could you ask for? So Samir, welcome to the 2022 version of The Cusp Show. 
Thanks so much. Uh, happy New Year to all of you. And the best part of that bio is the Columbia grad. I'll, uh, it, was, it was four of the best years of my life. So I'm thrilled to be here. All right, here's a quick Columbia question just to get going, yeah. Samir. What, what was your favorite part of Columbia, like the campus? I don't know, going to the West End, maybe? I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, in, in, all, in, in all seriousness, uh, I mean, it was, I don't know if people do this anymore, but it was uh, hanging out on the steps, like that, mm -hmm. just the energy. Yeah. Good answer, there. good answer. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I married my college sweetheart. She went to Barnard. We hung out on the steps a lot. So uh, it's a special place. I, I take my kids there all the time. We go, yeah. especially when the weather's good. I tell you, on a spring afternoon, especially after a difficult winter, there's nothing like the Columbia steps on a sunny spring afternoon, especially yeah. when, when it's, you know, we're in session, of course. Um, the answer that I thought you might say is one that uh, if you were to ask me, St. Paul's Chapel, which I think is one oh, of the yeah. gems of New York City. It's just a, such a spectacular thing. Anyway, um, well, I'll jump in with the first question, Joe. Um, when you were doing, at the beginning of your career, because we, we'd love to hear a little bit about your backstory, but I know you started in investment banking. When you were working at JP Morgan Chase 20 plus years ago, or whatever that was, would you have imagined yourself to, as running a technology business aimed at youth, uh, focused on youth sports in, in, the, in the late teens? It, it's a great question. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I specifically know, but I, you know, from particularly in business school, just gotten this entrepreneurial bug. And I remember going to that job, JP Morgan, you know, great company, great job, stable, you know, good pay. And it even just a year out of business school, it was, it, it, I was just so, I just felt so stifled. I, I just felt like I had to jump out and do something else. And I just had this sort of gnawing sensation in me that, you know, I could probably figure out a lot of things and just learn a lot of things that I didn't know. And uh, at the actual trajectory, uh, you know, I've ended up doing four startups, generally, roughly speaking, in four different industries. I'm not sure I'd recommend that career advice to anyone, uh, but I couldn't have predicted that. But I just had this instinct from around that time that, you know, I wanted to kind of control my own destiny to, you know, no one can do that perfectly, but, you know, to the extent you can, I, I wanted to bet on myself. Yeah. All right. So the so the reference that Joe was making before was Samir going to become the co-founder uh, and I believe COO and CFO of the um, ill-fated but but well well-conceived Sports Museum of America, which those of us that have been around for a while will remember from around what mid two thousand like two thousand five or something like that. Um, how did that happen? How did you go from J.P. Morgan Chase to the Sports Museum of America? It was a crazy story. Of a colleague of mine at, at, at J.P. Morgan had heard about it from a friend uh, who, had, who had maybe done some work there. And I cold emailed uh, the individual, who uh, Phil Schwab, who, uh, who had conceived of the idea and had kicked it off. I, I found his email somewhere. I just sent him an email and I went and met him at Cafe Mozart on the Upper West Side. I told my wife that I was going to be gone for an hour. And, you know, this was a little bit before, you know, I, you know, everyone had a mobile phone. So I was gone for four hours. We started brainstorming at the restaurant, writing on napkins. And, and she thought, you know, this random stranger had abducted me or something. <laughs> and, uh, 
I came back and I said, I'm, I'm going to go do this. And, you know, it was early enough in our careers where we didn't have a lot of responsibility. And a couple months later, I quit my job. Uh, we didn't have any money in the business, but I was really inspired by Phil, really inspired by the idea. Obviously never worked in sports at the time, but I just jumped into the deep end with, with two feet and uh, just, it just, there was a, no experience like it. I mean, just did, did a little bit of everything and uh, really just a, just a wonderful experience, no matter what the outcome ultimately. Right. And, and Joe, you, um, you were well aware of that. I think all three of us were at the launch party yeah. of that. Um, I just want to ask both of you guys, what, what do you think was missing in the formula to make that work longer term? I'm happy to, to, to go first. I, yeah. I think it's a combination of two things. For one, I've come to believe that timing is so important. And uh, we made a lot of mistakes because we didn't know a lot of things. And we probably opened a couple of years after we you know, originally thought we would. And that happened to be the early part of 2008, right before the, you know, the Great Recession. And, um, and had we opened in any other literally six-month period, we would have been able to navigate through it. We weren't able to raise additional financing. We raised almost $100 million in 2006 and couldn't raise $2 million in late 2008. Uh, so timing, you know, not to pass the buck, but timing is a big thing. The other thing, you know, it was a tough lesson, but we built really big and we said, you know, the bigger we build, you know, the pe people will come. And there's a lot to be said for, for being, you know, more careful in that sense, building small, you know, ma making, making, you know, small steps, you know, just making your way. I've learned kind of working more in software, like how, how valuable that is to just kind of iterate and learn and iterate and learn. But when you're doing something like that, that was a physical facility. It was just like one big bet. You couldn't go and like rip something out in, in a day or two. It was, uh, so I, you know, if I was doing it again, I'd build smaller and, and, and go from there. Joe, any thoughts? Yeah, I think two things. One is it, there's an interesting parallel because I just read this actually flying back from Atlanta on Tuesday to drop off my daughter in United Magazine that the Jackie Robinson Museum is actually finally going to open on, on, like by Canal Street after like, I don't even know, like 10 years. Um, and it was supposed to open two years ago. But the one thing that I think any, any uh, brick and mortar store or opportunity like that has today where there's so many opportunities to expand your world through virtual, whether it's NFTs, whether it's you know streaming video, whether it's Zoom, um, that really gives you arms and legs to reach people around the world, which I think is incredibly important and will eventually bring them to New York. And yeah, the timing was everything. I mean, it was it was just the, the wrong time to do a really good idea. You know, as I've said on this numerous times, I said the title of my next book is gonna be, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And um, there's lots and lots of stories that I think fit into that. But but I think that was, that was the biggest part because the enthusiasm was certainly there. And, you know, I even looked to you know, the ill-fated NFL experience that they did in Times Square, which I also think they pulled the plug on way, way too early. But, you know, when you have, you know, high net worth people who are investing in something and want something, you know, perceive something as a passion play that they think they're going to get a turnaround very quickly. Uh, and it takes the stick-to-itiveness stick and the money to make it work. It's really difficult sometimes. And, and you know, that's the game that, that you know, many especially startups have to go through. So 
you know, it was, I remember, like I said, walking through and seeing the Heisman Trophy and signed memorabilia and even having a really cool, you know, exiting uh, gift shop that somewhere, as I look around my shelves, I have something here from the sports museum. I don't know what it is, but, um, but it was, it was a great thing. I wish it would have worked. I wish the NFL experiences would have lasted. And I think those things as legacy um, platforms for a new generation of people who literally don't know enough are, or sometimes what we miss. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I, I wish I wish it survived. But with I think both your answers really helped me kind of remember the timing was really unfortunate. Hey, for, you know, just one, one other thing before we leave the sports museum: think about what you do now with an exhibit on sneakers or memorabilia or ticket mm -hmm. stubs. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no place. You know, the the Met, the Met is opening up a new museum of global baseball, a new uh, exhibit of global baseball cards later this yeah. year. And that's the Met. So think about if there was a repository of all this stuff that is sitting out there that the young people are interested, especially in the collectible space. I was gonna say, it, Joe, it's a really good point. Like with, with the growth and it's seemingly endless fascination with collectibles in, in mm -hmm. this world, which seems to actually be getting stronger in the as the digital age evolves. It, it's really interesting to think how that would work in the sports world with the opportunities yeah. to partner with the golden auctions and and uh, you know the new NFT businesses and things like that. It's it's, a, it's an interesting idea. You're going to tell me that that think about it, Samir. Like you wouldn't have had a conversation with Michael Rubin and Fanatics about you know what you could have built out if the building was still if that was still existing. I mean, think about what they could do with something like that now with yeah. their acquisition. Yeah. With their twenty billion dollar valuation, they they could <laughs> they, they could give you a couple yeah. million dollars to. All right, well, anyway, let's, let's work on that after the podcast, Samir. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Put together let's move on. It's not a crazy idea. Anyway, let's talk about youth sports and Game Changer. So I, I will just say this about um, uh, Game Changer to try to get into this topic. Joe and I, um, Samir, have had many conversations through the years about youth sports, what's going on in terms of the, uh, the general issue of youth sports and challenges around it, but also as it relates to how it's been such a magnet for entrepreneurs. I mean, the amount of companies that have tried to get in, and many of them did quite you know, well or, or decently well, uh, and, and uh, the ability to attract investment capital around all these companies. Joe and I are friends with Jeremy Goldberg of League Apps. We, we know that company well, and we know the other ones too. But what seems really impressive about Game Changer is that it seems like you've um, found a way to maintain your position as, as I think it's at least self-described, number one rated youth sports app for streaming, streaming, scoring, and team management that you've kind of figured out back to your point about growth hacking, which was not necessarily used at the sports museum. Yeah. That's have kind of growth, growth hacked your way. My sense is to position where you've really had a good bead on what the market really wants. Like, in all, and, and with streaming and scorekeeping and things like that, is that a fair way to describe it? It, it is. I really appreciate you, you, you saying that. It is one of the most remarkable business models I've ever seen. Uh, we produce an app that adds so much value to two core constituents, and that's the engine that runs the business. First, the coaches, right? So they're, they're the, the volunteer parents, the high school teachers, private coaches as well. They're out there working really hard with for the kids, making them learn, developing them. We give something that makes their we give them something that makes their lives much easier. Instead of using a paper scorebook, 
they can track all their stats, stream their games on our app. And we give them all of the content that they produce. We take it from them. We add value to it. We calculate in baseball 150 stats from the scoring of the game. And we give it all back to the coach for free. A coach never pays. And that was the origin of Game Changer was to help coaches, a coach tool, before they even thought about what the business model was. And what, what ultimately got discovered is this was information that never existed outside of these dusty old scorebooks that a coach had maybe kept at their home. Once you put that into a data stream, you could actually monetize it with the other people who care the most about those games, which is grandma and grandpa and mom and dad. So they're the ones who pay for access to that information in the form of a game stream, like in the ESPN game stream, or now with video, it's, it's, it's obviously, you know, looks like watching sports on television. And it's really remarkable because the people who do all the work get a lot of value for free, free and the people who care the most about the game pay for it. They, and what we found is they'll work really hard to find this content themselves. And they, as I said, they're willing to pay something for it. It's, it's really kind of a, a it, it, and in doing that, we essentially get our content for free. I like to say we have the UGC content model of YouTube where everyone on there is producing content and the monetization model of Netflix where people are actually paying a subscription for it. It's really kind of an amazing thing. And it shows you the power of sort of someone, you know, having a passion to help uh, someone in this case, youth sports coaches and just sort of tripping over a great business. You know, once, once you build something that, you know, you're really passionate about. Cool. Walk us through the user experience of so people who don't know. Uh, I come on the app, I'm a parent or a coach and, and just in, in a minute or two, just kind of walk us through what, what it's like. Sure. First, I'll start as a coach. You download the app, you set up a team, pick your sport. We now let you uh, you know, set up teams at just about any t youth team sport. You set up your roster. In setting up the roster, you invite all the parents onto the app because mm -hmm. they're all kids and they, you know, they need to be parents are the ones with the email addresses and all that. And then the coach sets up the, the season, where are the games, when are the games. So you have all your team management stuff. You can message in the app. Then the season starts. First game, coach hands, uh, tells, you know, assistant coach, equipment manager, another parent to score the game. On the screen on the app is something, let's say in baseball, looks like a baseball field. You can drag it around, score the game. Now you're the parent, you're at work, you're with one of your other kids, you're traveling, you can't make the game for some reason. You get a notification on your app that your kid's game is starting. And then you go on and you see the same field and you see this visualization of the game. And now today, over the last year, we've been able to roll out video streaming. So you'll actually see the video of the game with scoreboard, like watching ESPN or the World Series on Fox or something. And you can watch it. We also have converted the game stream into voice using text to speech. So some people love like the old school days, you know, listening to baseball on the, you know, on the radio. So you're driving somewhere, you know, home from work, you can listen to the game. And at the end, we send out these AI generated recaps. So every kid is a star. Your kid, you know, had the, you know, the winning hit. They're going to appear in the headline of the game. You talked earlier about local news and all that. Like we have a huge number of local sports reporters on Game Changer because this is where you get local, you know, sports coverage. Because again, you know, newspaper industry has gone through a lot of, a lot of change. So it, um, it consistently we hear from parents, grandparents, that the ability to kind of connect with their kids' games use, using the app. It's it's considered okay to be at a business dinner when you're traveling for work and be watching your kid on Game Changer. Like we've literally had dads and moms tell us that. 
And that's the only thing that's the only thing that you're allowed to do. Otherwise, you got to put your phone away and focus on dinner. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's really a, a cool thing. Let me do a quick follow up on, on, the, on the two streaming uh, pieces, um, yeah. video and audio. So just tell us what is actually happening. Is, is that is it? I imagine someone's using a phone off of the like you're you're actually using the the function uh, uh, video capture functionality of the phone to do this right. So someone has to physically have it aimed at the field like a one a, a one shot view. That's right. I mean the phones the cameras on the phones have gotten so good. Um, we actually uh, have a mounting kit that you can mount your phone baseball to a backstop or a tripod, and you put up the one phone. It's one click and you can start streaming and the parents will get the notifications on their phones. Okay. And uh, if you're just scoring the game, same thing, you just use a phone and you're kind of just yeah. dragging things around and identifying right. what's going on in the game. And what about the yeah. audio though? Like who's doing the, who's doing the play by play? So the, the, the play by play, it's uh, it's just on, on the phone's capability. So it isn't another person. It's just uh text to speech. So it's just the artificial voice on the, you know, on the Apple phones and the Samsung phones, but who's just automatically who's generating. generating the text. Uh, the text is also, uh, if you're streaming and scoring a game, you actually need to use two devices, one to stream the game and another phone okay. to kind of keep score using mm -hmm. our, our kind of visual interface. And that turns into the, into the play-by-play -play voice. Um, so, so two questions, but you could conceivably, and, and I'll talk about, ask you about this at the end, you could, like you said, have someone with audio capability literally doing a play-by-play. -play. There could be some young person there being able to do that as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the things people have always said is, you know, could you get like a really famous announcer, you know, kind of overlay their mm -hmm. voice on that? Uh, and so there's, there's some really interesting opportunities like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, just to share a little bit on kind of how, how big this has gotten, um, in 2021, over four and a half million youth baseball and softball games were scored, streamed on our platform. It is a scale that, you know, you, we all know youth sports, but if you don't know youth sports, it's mind boggling. We went and calculated this in the entire history of Major League Baseball. There have been about 250,000 games played, and that's about two weeks in April on Game Changer, just in terms of number of games. Wow. It, the scale is amazing. So, so um, I want to ask you about Dix and the relationship with Dix, but also what percentage, when you take that number, which is a very big number, percentage of the, let's say the little league or the, the youth baseball space now uses Game Changers, there are percentages at 5%, 10%, 20%, do you think? It, it's over 50% of the space Amazing. is using Game Changer. Right. Yeah, we're the kind okay. of ubiquitous player in baseball and softball. Cool. So tell us about Dix. Um, you have a relationship. Dix has been amazingly strong. You know, one of the best brands, you know, has outlived so many other companies in that space, but is really focused on, on community and youth sports. Tell us about the relationship with Dix Sports. Yeah, it's an amazing relationship. So Game Changer you know, was independent startup founded here, you know, in the New York area, uh, was acquired by Dix in 2016, which is sort of, er you know, fairly early in its life cycle. And they've been incredible partners back the company, given us the freedom to, you know, like we like to say internally, let Game Changer be Game Changer. And, you know, over over five years since the acquisition, we've, um, I think we've 5X the size of our, our business with their support. You know, they're obviously known as a retailer, but they're one of the leading, most relevant sport companies yeah. in, in the country, in the world. And 
as you said, have made a huge commitment both in their commercial business, but also in their foundation to support youth sports. And uh, we obviously have, you know, a, you know, play a big part in that and access a huge part of the community. I, I, I like to say this, if I was starting a sports tech company today, they would be one of my first calls for to, in terms of a strategic partner. Incredible group of people, really passionate. Uh, and, and like you said, they have just, in their core business, they've crushed it the last few years, just really ridden all the trends around uh, being outdoors, being healthy, getting fit, all that stuff, particularly as the pandemic has, um, has emerged. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been you know, a really interesting experience for me to basically run a startup that's backed by a big company, that very different experience than the other things I've done, but I'm really glad I've done it. Uh, it's, 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 um, and, and, and we've been successful. There've been some startups out there you know, in, in, in sports, uh, been acquired by large companies that haven't done well. I'm just super proud of how well Game Changer has done you know, with the connection to a big company. Related to your comment about, uh, or reference to the pandemic, the, the headwinds affecting youth sports right now are notorious. Um, the, the stats about youth sports participation de decline, et cetera, are alarming for anybody in the youth sports business. It's alarming, I think, in, in general for the sports business because there's implications about fand fandom and things like that. But talk about that because I know it's there, it's it's not as though an individual company, whether it's Dix or Dix Plus Game Changer, can necessarily address and influence that, but you do have to manage against it, right? Absolutely, we, we think about it a lot and it, it really has personal uh, importance to me. And, you know, thinking about the pandemic, I mean, you know, I coached my two girls in softball and they both dropped it during the pandemic. And that was, you know, obviously I'm supporting them, they're playing, they're doing other things, but. That was a real disappointment for me. And I think that gap really hurt people and they have access to, to all these things. A lot of kids don't have a lot of access. So we, we, we do think about it. I mean, so two, two, two parts. One, I do think that in a small way, Game Changer has a positive impact here because we allow you to be connected to the game as a parent, as a grandparent, when you can't be there. And maybe you're, you have to be at work and uh, and so you can maintain that connection. You don't feel disconnected. You maybe you feel more comfortable that you're connected to the game. And as I said, every kid can be a star, right? Because, you know, how else are you going to get a little news story that with your kid's name and it's sent to you? Maybe as a parent, that'll inspire you to try a little harder to make sure they have access and be more motivated. And, uh, and the kid also will be more motivated to stick it out. So I, so again, uh, you're right. No one can solve this by themselves, but I do think that we, you know, we help a little bit. Uh, in terms of managing through it, it we yeah we 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 focus a lot on on participation and 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 are certainly concerned when we see declining numbers. Again, we have a so we have so many teams who will start using Game Changer at the rec level, right? And the continuity that we have by you know, being on this platform, you know, we hear from parents all the time. You know, I I talk to my kid about their stats from the last four or five years, and they're all on Game Changer and that kind of stuff can inspire them to keep playing. And so we really like to encourage that kind of content, you know, to the extent maybe we're, we want to fight that trend of lower participation. We, we really, we think we help encourage participation through this sort of continuity year, year in and year out. Uh, and this ability for both, whether it's a coach or a parent to really see the legacy of the work that, that they, their kids have put in playing youth sports. So on the other side of that is the question about 
leisure time preferences of Gen Z and Gen Alpha, yeah. especially as it relates to video gaming. And we've seen this now over the last couple of years uh, manifest itself through the development of programs, both in the collegiate realm and even in mm -hmm. high schools. Is there a game changer play for com competitive video gaming? As more and, kids and by the way, go um, that way. And, and also keeping that in mind, Samir, what about things like MMA and, and, and other things that are drawing away from traditional sports? Yeah, you know what I like to say? Game Changer is perfect for anything that involves a team with a passionate group of players and fans. Fans could be parents, they could be uh, community, you know, other kids. With video that would be compelling and data that would be interesting to aggregate. So if you put those three things together, that Game Changer can do any of those. And we're only limited by how fast we can get into them. And mm -hmm. so many of these arenas and venues and, and things you're talking about aren't captured in some other way. So yeah, if I had my druthers, we would do every single one of those immediately, right? Because in some of the things you mentioned, you have passionate group of people, you have um, a lot of stats that can be captured, a lot of stats that probably aren't being captured right now, and a hunger for streaming of all that video content, put that all together. So of course, right now we're focused on getting into every team sport, and then after that, every individual sport, and then we believe there's, you know, maybe it's still higher in the U.S., but there's huge passion for youth sports globally. You know, maybe not every single sport that we play here, but so that's, but, but yeah, those extensions very well could be down the road for us. Related as a quick follow-up to your other point uh, about your, it sounds like dominance in baseball. What are the top, let's say five or six sports for you guys in terms of usage of the app? After baseball and softball, uh, Basketball was the next sport we went in, 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 into. And then last year, we, we extended into soccer, which took off in a really big way in the fall. Uh, football, hockey. We're seeing a ton of traction in volleyball, uh, and as well as a bunch of smaller sports. But uh, we, we're seeing cheerleading teams use it. It's really, it's really everything. Mm -hmm. But we expect to be really significant in all of the major team sports. And, and track and field, is that part of it too? Not, not right now. Uh, the, the, the focus has been on the sports where kind of a team is sort of playing kind of in, in, in a more collective way. Uh, one of the challenges we'll, we'll face with individual sports is, um, and, and track and field is obviously, it's individual, but team at the same time. But you think of something like tennis. If you have two people playing on a court, the audience is just the two families of those two people. You know, mm -hmm. baseball field, you'll have 15, 12, 15 kids on the team, some playing, some some on the sideline. So the audience is slightly bigger in each of those games. So that's one of the things we'll have to figure out from a business model perspective. Uh, last question for me before we get to our two. Um, we've heard we're here at the beginning of 2022, um, a little bit of a pause, hopefully only for a couple of weeks with Verizon, AT&T and 5G. Um, how does 5G amplify your business going forward in terms of streaming and, and latency? It's a, a really important to us. We made the bet on video as we saw the 5G arc really taking off. There have been other players doing this. We're 100% we're committed to mobile. We think everything is mobile. And there are a bunch of players doing fixed installations, which amazing companies, but we think, we're, you know, we think mobile wins. So we wanna ride the 5G wave. Um, and we spend a lot of time making sure every, to we, everything we can do in the app to have a good experience around the stream uh, and of course, there's going to be uh, hiccups along the way. 
but you're, you know, again, you're talking about a, such a passionate group of people uh, that, um, you know, they, they kind of power through those things. Um, and no different than years ago when it was just using your phone to score and we were just worried about basic connectivity, it comes eventually. And so I think, I think it's a safe bet to bet on innovation and all this stuff working, even with some short-term hurdles along the way. Samir, we gave you fair warning. We ask all of our guests two, two final questions. The first is about how you stay smart. What kinds of stuff are you reading, listening to, following? Uh, and the second is uh, about career advice. We'd appreciate you sharing some career advice, particularly for the younger people listening. Absolutely. So on your first question, well, first part of my answer actually is around process because a few years ago I woke up and felt like I wasn't you know, doing well at work, but I wasn't learning uh, a lot of new things. So, and this may not work for everyone, but for me now, five to seven o'clock in the morning is my own learning time. It happens to be when my kids are still asleep, no one else is awake. So, so that process change has transformed my, my learning. And um, where, where I've been focused, especially being in a technology business and having come from a, from a, from a general business background, is, and I tell people this all the time, I, I think there's real value to deep diving into technical skills. So over the last several years, and I don't do this at work every day, it's, it's given me credibility at work, but I've taught myself how to program, uh, do computer programming, uh, and then I extended that and taught myself how to do machine learning modeling by myself. And I'm not saying that's something everyone needs to do, you might not be interested in it. The point is I found the time away from family and work, and I deep dive in something that was so opposite anything I'd ever done. And it was unbelievably painful because you know it was learning something new. You know, I'm in my forties, it's not the easiest thing to do. And, but, but it was such an amazing thing, like just force myself to do something different. So I, my, you know, my advice is uh, whether you're, you're doing this kind of work or not, you have to have some technical skills and anyone in the world with any other background can learn those skills. Don't, don't think you can't. Uh, I certainly know every Columbia student should be able to do that. And I think it's just an important element of the world going forward. It's like learning the language that you speak. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I, I would encourage that. And uh, yeah, it's just, you need, to, you need to put in those extra hours when you're, especially when you're working to kind of keep learning. And I mean, the only other thing I'll say on that is, and this may or may not, be good advice for people, but I've I've jumped into the deep end of more than one occasion in, into a startup with uh, no prior industry experience in that industry, and talk about steep learning curves. So I, you know, I'd like to describe myself as loving steep learning curves more than let's say loving an industry or loving a job. Mm -hmm. I have a profile of a job now. I'm I'm like a CEO, COO kind of like I can do those kind of jobs. But what I really like is the steep learning curve. So maybe my next thing will be something completely different. All right. Um, that sort of covered the, the career advice thing uh, as, as well. Uh, but the only other thing I'll say on that is uh, you, it, it's, it's definitely a cliche and a lot of people talk about it. We talked about the sports museum and some of our, 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 our lessons. Uh, one of the other things I'll say is you're busy at work, you, you're, you're, you're kind of, you have your head in the sand, you're in the weeds, you're doing, you're trying to do your job really well, whatever level you're at, 
And it's so important to kind of at any level, kind of pull your head out and talk to people. I like to, I tell people I work with, be selfish about getting other people's input and, and keep getting it over and over again. The times when I've been the least successful is when I've had my head in the sand and I just know what I'm supposed to do. And it's usually wrong. And then when I have my kitchen cabinet or whatever the expression is of people to, to help, whatever the topic is, it could be a simple you know, day-to-day -day task or a big strategic move or starting something new. The more people you talk to, the better off you are. In the world we live in, you can crowdsource intellect with millions, you know, they, with, with, on social media and all that. So I would, I would encourage people to, to, to do that in any, whether they're early in their careers or, you know, or later on. Yeah. Joe, that last answer reminded me of what you just did to start 2022. You crowdsourced intellect. I did. Well, blog post. I also, some years now inspired me to go out and write a contributor. That's, that's going to be my new thing. So. Nice. Yeah. Maybe you uh, can do it once a week. Yeah. Hey, um, Samir, one more question before we let you go. And, and we obviously also want to have you give us some of the, um, uh, the places where, where people can learn more about the business. But um, are there um, any things in sports tech or tech that you're following right now that, that you think are really good businesses um, or, or things that are really on your radar? I I'm I think there's a really big opportunity, uh, and again, this isn't very uh, I I wouldn't say this is very unique to to an extent, but um, I think with all of the hype around things like you know NFTs and the metaverse and all that, and I think there's a lot there, but we I'm really excited about everything being quantified and data collection of everything. When you think about sports and even mm -hmm. whether it's youth or professional, I think we're not even in the first or second inning of complete quantification of, of the person or the athlete. And no one's really put kind of a platform together to do that. And, uh, and I think there'll, someone will do that. So there's people with sensors collecting information. There's people with smart watch kind of things. There's people like Game Changer where you're collecting stuff, you know, manually on the phone or on a, you know, automatically on a video stream. Someone's going to put that whole thing together, and uh, and and there that's going to be a dominant platform. There'll probably be one in youth. There'll probably be one in, in the pros or college, and that's going to be like the Facebook or LinkedIn or one of those of youth sports. And uh, so again, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's someone out there that's there yet. But that's something that's really exciting to me, and it feels feels real. Feels like we'll get there in the next few years. Cool. And then um, last question is: Tell us where people can find you and where they can find Game Changer. Absolutely. Well, uh, you can find Game Changer on the App Store, uh, you know, Google Play Store, website gc.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, if, if you'd like. I also write a personal blog if you're interested in following it. It touches a little bit on sports, but a lot on kind of other things that I'm passionate about. Uh, it's called complexityeverywhere.com. So feel free to check that out. Oh, and nice. I, uh, love the, I love the title. Thank you. Tom, this is thank your you. <laughs> really? Yeah. This is and, uh, and in the summer, spring and summers, you can find me on the steps of Columbia. So oh, I'll, good. Uh, well, maybe, maybe in there. Uh, as a as something we can dream about for the spring of 2022 guys is uh, we'll actually meet up in person um on the steps of columbia in sometime in april or may that would be great i i, I absolutely am hopeful and confident that we can do that yeah
Well, Samir, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We've been enjoying the uh, insights and story of Samir Ahuja, who's the um, president of Game Changer, which is a really exciting business and a very exciting space. And uh, I hope you all check it out. And, um, and, and the bonus, of course, is his personal blog. Uh, the, the name one more time for the audience. Sure. Complexity Everywhere. Complexity everywhere, Joe. That guys, that should be the title of this podcast: Complexity Everywhere, of the show. Um, thanks, Samir. Uh, great to have you. Thanks, Joe. Great show. Thanks to Connor and Yash for producing. We'll see everybody in the next episode. Bye.